Untitled Film Project Podcast Time. Hey, everybody. It's Jim along with Jeremy and Justin, and we are talking Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. The least likely Avenger, Scott Lang, finds himself pretty popular and a best-selling author doing book readings. Will I be there when the Avengers need me? Absolutely. I'd never turn my back on them. But right now, the only job I want is being a dad. I love you, Cassie. Thanks for being my hero. And I'm sorry I missed some birthdays. <laughs> and for the rest of you kids out there, word of advice. Look out for the little guy. But very quickly, Scott Lang teams up again with Wasp, Hope Van Dyke, her scientist parents, and Lang's daughter, Cassie. They all get pulled into the quantum realm where they find an incredible micro-world and Marvel's next big villain. We're going to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp and Quantumania, and we also have this week's big question. The big question is, name your top five, your personal top five Marvel movies. Eternals. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the third Ant-Man film on its own. Uh, Let's get initial takes. Justin Bradford, kick us off. The big thing that stands out right now is so many people have seen when reviews are able to be posted that it is only the second Marvel movie to be considered rotten from the critic scores on Rotten Tomatoes. So that is very curious right there. And it has people obviously questioning a lot of things because, as we all know, with the MCU now, there are so many, there are so many expectations now of an MCU film because they're so, they're so deep into this now. People just want more and more, and the expectations continue to rise. I, however don't feel like there are expectations as much from me with this film that it was overhyped or anything. Yes, we've been seeing trailers, we've been seeing advertisements because you're supposed to see advertisements for a Marvel film. But I don't feel like this has been overhyped of being of epic proportions that this is going to change the MCU. And it doesn't. I mean, there's a new big bad, which definitely changes things. But we knew that was coming. We knew that was coming. But I felt like... This was an Ant-Man story. It was a focus more on Ant-Man while also introducing a big bad, which is fine for me and what I actually wanted. My expectations were set mid-level. I just wanted an entertaining Marvel movie that just kind of moves along the story. It's the first movie of Phase 5 that we're getting, and no one were introducing a big bad. There wasn't pressure on a team-up or anything like that. I feel like overall I kind of got what I wanted. I wasn't blown away. I wasn't something that was mesmerizing. If anything, Jonathan Major stood out the most to me because we have a big bad with tremendous acting chops that I thought fit the role extremely well. That's the big thing for me that stood out what I love the most with Jonathan Majors because he has, as we saw just with Loki a little bit, has to have so many different roles of Kang, of that character within this, and we see that in bits and pieces throughout this film. That's what stood out the most to me. That's what I love the most. I was fine with Catherine Newton being the recast of Cassie Lang. She has some acting chops. The most previous thing for her I saw was Pokemon Detective Pikachu, <laughs> <laughs> but has a little more acting chops. Paul Rudd is Paul Rudd. Comedic time I thought was great. I was sitting next to Jeremy and Jim, uh, unlike with what Top Gun. Yeah, uh, we spread out. Yeah, I was sitting actually next to them. Have to do and I this. heard some <laughs> chuckles. I heard chuckles coming from both of them, whereas <laughs> Gover was completely silent when we screened Avatar. I actually heard chuckles uh, from. You were. It's not exactly the same type of movie, though. It's not, but there's still moments I figure there might be reactions. You just mean re- reactions. Right, just reactions. So, and that to me is like, it was good time humor, but Paul Rudd is that type of actor, and that's what I expected. Some good time humor I thought was better than Ant-Man 2. The humor was yeah. better than this. There's still, it's still Marvel humor, so some people are going to roll their eyes at it, and I completely understand that. It's fine by me. I liked, we saw more of Michelle Pfeiffer. As well, actually developed a little bit more of her in that role. Um, I thought the Bill Murray being in there was is a, a cameo, small role. I, it made me giggle because he just he played himself. I felt like <laughs> in, in the role, so that was fine there too. If anything, the first thoughts that were coming to my mind were seeing the quantum realm was, oh, it's Strange World. A uh, a thought that occurred to me. A thought that occurred to me. Also, if for those of you that have seen The Good Place, seen Cheaty, it was was great. (laughs) I love seeing him there, too. Uh, The CGI, I felt like it was better than Thor Love and Thunder. It wasn't the best because this movie was all CGI. I mean, we're talking the real world was only seen in this film for all of 10 minutes, maybe. If that. If that. So the pressure was on. 
for for CGI to be really, really good. And there are moments where it felt really, really cool and it felt like it was developed and real that you could escape a little bit. There are other parts are going, that's CGI. So very rushed. So to me, if you can't get my feeling from this, it's that it was fairly mid. It was good. It was fine. It's not something I'm going to watch all the time. It moves it along. We get a a big bad. MODOK was hilarious. Yes. I really enjoyed Darren being MODOK and the way they kind of character arced him really quick. But it's love that we got (laughs) MODOK on screen because I'm going, how the hell are they going to pull off? Modoc like this and just we get that in Ant-Man and I love the how the, how they brought that character to life overall just yeah you need to go see it just to move it right along it's not something that's going to be earth shattering or earth breaking fine for comedy and some action and you get the big bad that's the big thing is the big bad Jonathan Majors see it if anything for Jonathan Majors nice points this is Jim I'll uh, take it from here because I want to I want to expand on one of the points that you made at the very beginning which is uh, the news story that came out just before the release of the film, which was like, oh, this has a terrible Rotten Tomato score. This, you know, people are just distraught. It's like, oh, it's one of the few bumps. Those scores came out before media even saw it. When <laughs> media saw it, it jumped significantly, about 30 points higher. So I think there's some review bombing and there's some in, uh, there's some nefarious By critics, stuff though? going like, on. Are critics wanting to do that now? I don't know how that's happening. If they're getting paid, they are. E- either the that. The bomb? If another studio wants to just run some sabotage. Or I'll say a couple this. thousand dollars at a writer who gets a thousand dollars a year and then all of a sudden you got a, <laughs> <laughs> you got a deal. Man, Gover just throwing it right out there. Well, yeah. this, I mean, you're, you're, am I wrong? Uh, I think you're wearing a tinfoil hat a little bit. <laughs> and there's the answer. Thank you, Jim, for just get, bringing us back to center. So, you know, maybe it's just too small of a sample size that they shouldn't release those numbers until enough reviews are in because you know sometimes you get quirky things you get you get a way too high score very mm-hmm. early and then it comes back down to earth the rotten tomato score is actually pretty good right now for uh, ant-man and the wasp quantum media i went in really just i love paul rudd yeah uh, he's he's really funny he's a guy i will pretty much watch in anything and i think scott lang is a super relatable character he is the adult version of Spider-Man. He's the unlikely <laughs> I like it. person yeah. that you can relate to. This like that could be me. I could be that guy. So mm-hmm. it's very fun to see uh, the Ant-Man franchise. I, I'm looking forward to everything that comes out. I thought this movie was pretty good. I didn't really love the fact that it was 95% in a CGI world. I thought Michelle Pfeiffer stole some of the show, at least early on, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on what happened to her when she was trapped in the quantum realm for 30 years. That was a great, interesting story that was not told on purpose so that it could be revealed in this movie. And that would eventually lead us to how and why we have the big villain in Kang. Jonathan Majors was terrific. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's a movie for the whole family. Uh, I'll get into it in more detail coming up, but I want to hear from Jeremy K. Gover. It's hard to go against the grain here, so I'll just give you my notes, okay? Kang made the Marvel logo, which I thought was awesome. So, you know, when the Marvel logo builds in at the beginning of the film, uh, you know, we, we had that real heart-gripping one for Black Panther, mm-hmm. uh, Wakanda Forever. But then even before that, when I watched Black Panther on Disney+, Plus, it was all Chadwick Boseman. They'd taken everybody else out. Yeah. It was just, a, mm-hmm. it was, that was spectacular. I digress. The point is that they changed that every once in a while. Shang-Chi made the logo for a while, you know, whatever. Yep. and this time, and Kang made it. Uh, so I thought that was, okay, like, we're, we're in okay. it to win it here. Like, you know, <laughs> it's unfair how good Paul Rudd still looks. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I just have a massive oh, problem yeah. with that. He is uh, drinking the blood of virgins at a mountaintop <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> what? Wow, Jim. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to go there, but that's pretty... Amazing. Uh, you, That's my tin foil hat you're right. conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, let's. Yeah, Bradford, I can't wait for yours. <laughs> the comedic timing, as you mentioned, was excellent. Uh, it was very on brand for a Paul Rudd project. Whereas he, I, I love what you said about the relatability of Paul Rudd's character, because I, you really could picture yourself like Captain America is a super soldier, and Iron Man is a billionaire playboy, and. Like the Hulk has a philanthropist. Ga- sorry, yep. And uh, the Hulk has gamma radiation problems. Like there's like all these people had the Thor is from another world. There's all kinds of things, but with Paul Rudd, he's just a dude with a checkered past, 
But, you know, well-intended. He wants, know, wants all, to be a good dad. Yeah, wants to be a good dad. Yeah. And, you know, and so all of a sudden, he's a superhero. And he's a, so the, the audience can put themselves into his character and image on screen. Like, that's a, right. that, that is halfway believable. One of the reasons that I, this is a quick uh, tangent here. One of the reasons I liked Batman growing up so much is because he's just a dude. He has no superpowers. He's just a rich guy that has a bunch of toys. And he right. figures out how to use them and this and that. So I was like, oh, that's that's cool. Whereas Superman's like, he's an alien, basically. And he, he's awesome. But it's I can't relate to But at Batman, if you just have enough money, you can do stuff. You know? Well, your parents also have to get murdered in front of you first. Well, also that. There, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's pros and cons. I'm just, I mean, yeah, there's there's two sides to every story. Right, yeah. <laughs> Trade-offs. Like, yeah, you know, that's, that's just life. So... so so, so Paul Rudd is that. Paul Rudd is just a guy who's just a he's got a checkered past and wants to be a good dad. And all just of a wants sudden, wants to scoop ice cream. Yeah, right. One of the reasons I didn't care for the Star Wars prequels, yes, I am going somewhere with this, is because they leaned heavy into special effects. It was all CGI stuff. And yeah. whereas the, some of the charm, and I would even say most of the charm of the original Star Wars trilogy, is because there was practical things 100% even all the characters yeah. in the background were practical people wearing suits and or or controlled by a robotic mechanism that makes them right. you know but and so they're physically in that room yes that's correct and with the prequels until the sith because i just love that movie the first two i got enjoyment out of both of them i went and saw both of them in the movie theater four or five times i was you know cause i'm a star wars geek i love that stuff but I, they didn't sit the same because they were all CGI background and CGI places and CGI characters. And they and, aged themselves very quickly, too. Yeah. Right. That, that, is, that doesn't hurt. It, that doesn't it, help. It's it made them very flat movies, I think. Yes, exactly. So my point of saying all that is this, is this, this gave me the same feeling. I walked out as like, okay. So, but I'm also willing to admit that that's a personal preference. I'm okay. willing to admit I'm not going to dock the movie that because some people love that. I had a coworker of mine, James, who was... 15, 20 years younger than me, grew up on the prequels and loved them. Sure. Because he didn't know any, he didn't, his perspective was different, right? No, no preconceived notions. Right. He's just going in fresh. Right. So so I'm willing to admit that's personal preference. Last thing I'll say in my little roundtable part here is Jonathan Majors made this movie for me. Period. He's an, it's excellent he's incredible. casting. He's great casting. Uh, you, you have to, if you're going to bet your franchise on yeah. the next big villain, you've got to have somebody who does it well. And, and, he was superb. There is no better moment in the movie, and there's a lot of them, but there's no better moment in the movie for him than when he says, I am Kang. Yeah. Like, I don't tolerate oh, yeah. any of this. Mm-hmm. You don't come to me like, I am Kang. I've been easy for the, for the past uh, yeah. few moments right. here. But As now Scarlet Witch getting... would say, I have been reasonable. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Like, this, it, it's, it was just a powerful moment, kind of like when we saw Knives Out, and we saw Janelle Monet at the table doing both accents, and we came away yeah. being like, "This is this is a break. She is a superstar." Yep, we're seeing it in front of us. Jonathan Majors to me, you know, obviously, I love Devotion. There's no secret to that. That movie, I can't wait for Creed three, partly because, and maybe I even mostly because Jonathan Majors is the villain in Creed three. Freaking ripped, right? Well. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of good-looking dudes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> my, my point of saying all that is that it, there, there, you can do so much worse than Jonathan Majors, and you can do worse with a good actor. Right. That's how good he was. Yeah. So I, I just cannot wait to see the rest of the MCU trajectory because Jonathan Majors is in it. I really loved how uh, they. Showed Jonathan Majors uh, in a in a different way than we expected when he's trapped in the quantum realm uh, and he needs his ship repaired and he sees that there's a way for somebody to help him get out of there mm-hmm. that he played. I'm a good guy. I just want to get back to my mm-hmm. place. And that switch from I've been duping you, I've been a wolf in sheep's clothing, mm-hmm. and now... There is no way you should ever let me out of here because I'm the most dangerous thing that will walk any realm was magnificent. Really quickly, too, there was a moment in that. I don't remember if it was that scene or another one, but I remember thinking to myself, oh, because, you know, we were talking about this a lot, right? The best villains typically are ones that believe in their cause. Mm -hmm. They could be wrong. Right. right, like Thanos wants to snap away half existence because Killmonger. he comes from a Killmonger, great example, because he comes from a planet where everybody was starving. So if you get rid of half the people, all of a sudden there's 
food in abundance. And mm-hmm. I see how he got. I to can that. see how you get there. Yeah. You're wrong, but I get it. Right. There was a moment in this where I, Jonathan Majors was like, I think he was emotional or something was, I can't remember the exact scene. I apologize for that. But I remember it hitting me of like, holy crap, he thinks he has to do this. Right. Like whatever. Because every other timeline has been messed up and he right. has to fix it right. by having And so to take he control. is taking it on his, on his shoulders and saying, I have to get out by any because means I possible. have to save everyone. Even right. though, again, that's wrong and whatever. It's just like, it, now they didn't say that explicitly. And I'm not right. saying that's even part of the thing, but I remember it hitting me at a certain point of the film where I was like, he feels like he has to do this. For him, that is the right thing yes, to do. Yes, that's right. 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 Because just like Thanos, it's saving people by destroying the other timelines, right. even though trillions of people will die. It's continuing time as he sees it to continue to exist. He has to get rid of the other timelines. But he's fully committed to the notion that I don't want to do this, but it has to be done. That's that's the sensation that, that I right. That's the sensation that I got at a certain point of the movie, and yeah. I was like, "Holy crap!" It's more spoilerish here, <laughs> folks. We haven't been too spoilery. <laughs> that's but true. When you get the mid-credit scene, and you have all the different versions of Kang, that some aren't Kang, some are ver- versions of him. Various. You have the He Who Remains that was killed in Loki, the last episode of Loki, but you have Thousands of versions of him all of a sudden making it upon themselves that they have to do something. Right. That was interesting to me because you see all these different versions and variables of that character who banished Kang to the quantum realm all of a sudden saying, well, they have to take it upon themselves now. Well, what are they going to do? Like right. this, what, what I did enjoy about it is the whole setup that we're going to get for the next Avengers that we're going to see in a few years Right. Years away, just like how Thanos was teased in Avengers 1, and look how long it took to get there. Sure. It's going to take a few years to see what happened in Ant-Man Mania, and see what happens and the ramifications from that, I, I believe. Well, Marvel could be in a lot worse spot. because I mean, and again, that's with a good actor. If they yes. pick a, I don't know, Diego Luna. I'm just picking somebody. Sure. I'm just picking somebody off the top of my head, right? Like, like he's a solid actor. He could do the job, but not like Jonathan Majors. Yeah. They are in great hands. Oh, yeah. I will say this, though. Uh, while it needed to be done, I didn't like that this was a setup movie. I mean, this movie really was, uh, it, it was a utility movie for Marvel. I did feel it at some point, it, which is like, yes, they're playing out the danger and the scenario of what's happening right now. It's Paul Rudd and his daughter and Ed Wasp and her parents. And uh, this is they, th- those were pretty good storylines but this movie truly is meant to serve another purpose in the future and part of that detracts for me so much enjoyment of the movie eh, i just some of it i just felt like oh they're just uh, i'm getting a lot of exposition here it's so much setup i mean cassie lang young avengers kang mm-hmm. next big bad if the, if the two things right there they're going to spin off into so many other adventures of the mcu it was total setup you're basically building up Cassie Lang to be a more major role, just like how we had with Hawkeye sure. and everything, too. You're trying to build up those young characters again because we know we're going to have young Avengers in the future. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We know we're getting new yeah, characters yeah. introduced to kind of take over the mantle, so you have to introduce them. Right. And so I, I totally get why they would do that there. I almost thought we were going to get one of those characters to die. There are a couple times where I, f- I thought Scott Lang might die or be trapped. Then, while I was watching the movie, there was a very brief moment when the thing was crashing where I thought Hank Pym was going to die, and that was going to be that arc right there, because it wasn't going to be a huge loss. It'd be sad, but it's like, okay, go. he's getting old anyway. Michael Douglas is getting a little yeah. old. Here's his chance, because you can hand it fully off to, to Hope and Janet, and you have the sadness of, well, Hank and Janet didn't get enough time back together again, and that, even though they had their times in their own realms where they had needs too uh, that that he died. So those are the two little things where I thought might have happened. Go over you, were, put your arms up. Yeah, I, I, I want to ask, like, before we transition uh, over to Jeremy on this, were you disappointed that there wasn't a major death of a character no, in this film? No, because it's a setup okay. movie, right. and that's the feel that I got. So I wasn't disappointed. I was almost thinking we might get that just to help move along some sadness. Sure. More than anything else, because it seems like, Every single hero has to have some sadness. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, 
you pointed to your notes. You're like, I've got it right here. I thought for sure. I thought I thought I was the only one until Bradford just said that's why I rejoiced in the studio. <laughs> I thought Scott Lang should have died. In should the, have. In, yeah, in the fight with Kang at the end, especially in the trailer, you see him say, "I don't have to win. We just both have to lose." Yeah. I thought, okay, this is it. He's gonna. He's go gonna out. kill him. They wanted people to think that too, obviously. But, yeah. Right, and they they got me. But I thought, okay, again, Rudd's fifty something. He really looks phenomenal. Right. Right. <laughs> like you know, he's. Does he want to do this for the rest? Of, you know, for the rest of his life. Is is this? It was a solid handoff to Cassie in this film. It was a solid handoff. Like, okay, she is shaping. She, she's kind of this rebel. Like, I want to help people. Kind of sure. proactive. Like, I'm an you know, activist. I'm an activist. Yeah. yeah. And then she's already safe in Earth six one six while he's in the quantum realm fighting Kang. It was all perfect. It was all okay. He dies. She then can carry on her dad's legacy. As she has a suit With already. An intense depression, though. Well, yeah. I'm just, no, but I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> would, I thought that would. Would you be... think it would have been a better movie if Scott Lang died at that moment? Yes, mm, I can't agree with that. Yes, but I also am willing. I love Paul Rudd so much and the Ant Man character so much that I, I'm like, okay, he's not dead. I'm excited to see where they take it. Because my, where where else is there to go? My prediction is that they didn't set Cassie up enough. She's going to get yeah. her own movie. Oh, yeah, no question. And that's where Paul Rudd dies. Or at least hands it off and retires or something. Right. Because I don't, I don't think every character has to die. No, but that's very anticlimactic if Ant-Man just retires. Yeah, but okay, so like... Can you imagine that? No, no, Captain like America, that. Sam Wilson, I'm... I'm retired. You go handle that yourself. Give me a break. <laughs> well, look, the whole time, and so here's something with the trailer that was interesting that I saw today, a promo. In the promo, you have Scott Lang saying, this is our fight. I'm like, well, that's edited because in the movie, he's yeah. saying, this is not our fight. Right. right. <laughs> so I was very curious how they're, obviously, now that we've seen it, how they're editing these promos and saying, this is our fight. Like, he's all in to go fight when the entire first half of the film is like, this is not our fight. We don't need to fight. No fighting, fighting. I just want to spend time with you. <laughs> Please. <laughs> My point is, you had character growth there with Scott. Yeah. He's going to save Cassie. He wants his number one goal. The setup he's, was there. He saved Cassie. She's safe, right? And he's mm-hmm. going to take it. He's going to take out Kang enough to where they can close the portal or whatever. And then that's going to be. I thought. I guess for just sure. want a little bit more between him and Cassie as Cassie as an adult. More yeah, than, more than just I missed yeah. you. Hug. And then this movie. <laughs> yeah. I think he'll get to know her more. She's going to get her own movie. It might even be called an Ant Man movie, but it's going to be the the official handoff where we get like really attached to Cassie, or at least that's what they'll attempt to do. That's my prediction. You know, the visual effects are everything in this movie. I was not familiar with, uh, you know, the uh, comic books and anything else involving the character Darren. That's where I thought the special effects were so strange and so out of place, the way they created that bizarre, giant head, baby feet, it looked like a character out of a Spy Kids movie. See, I didn't have a problem with that because that's what Modoc's supposed to look like. But it looked weird. It, it didn't that's the match, point But it didn't one. match the rest of the visual effects. If that character, if Modoc, were in a Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that would look horrible but because it, it's a comedic film with a comedic tone mm-hmm. right like thor love and thunder same kind of thing like even though like there's the chris hemsworth like you know now they bring the funny like taika yes, Waititi brings the funny did. so that it would have worked in that film per se mm-hmm. so but so i think if it's any other project other than those two i think it doesn't work at all like it's horrendous but because it's a funny film you're like okay you can make it laughable you're gonna make it and pass, it's fine yeah. and uh, he does have a stretched face in so many different iterations of modok his face is stretched. Sure. It's wonky yeah. looking in the comic books, everything in the cartoons. He does look weird. So Spy Kids actually almost makes sense. I've talked to some <laughs> so. fans that uh, they were demanding Modoc appear somewhere in these movies and that this was fan service to them and make him kind of a goofy write off character, which he kind of is in this. He's mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, comic relief for the most part. Maybe they were right. Maybe they brought him in just to satisfy that part of the fan base. But, I'm good with that. And then just say, okay, now we've, I'm all right with it. I'm now good we've with done that. it. Let's move on. Just think practically. In comic books, that type of character, yes. You're going to have something, a mechanized humanoid weapon. Mm-hmm. That's fine in comic books. But practically in the MCU, 
this is the only film where it would make sense <laughs> to have him in a quantum realm. Not in the Marvels, not in Black Panther, not in a Captain yeah. America. None of those. It just would not fit. We're here. 100% would make sense to have this type of character. That's why I'm glad they put him in. They got a little character arc. and made, You're just like a brother. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. the little arc yeah. that he was able yeah. to get <laughs> was sure. hilarious. I like what she called him uh, when they called him. He was like, Darren. <laughs> Darren. Darren. <laughs> I don't think he's listening. And then like, Modoc. Uh, yeah. So I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill Murray. Uh, you say he does play himself. I think he plays himself really well. And I would say he was just typical Bill Murray till the last couple of lines where that same, like, you know, snarky kind of, you know, Bill Murray character is said so slightly differently that he effectively tells you, like, holy crap, this villain that you're about to see is scary mm-hmm. and for just maybe those two or three sentences i'm going to give bill murray an a minus for that cameo because yes he did play himself for a little bit but he did give a proper switch right at the end of his scene that i think sets up what you're about to see with kang i would have loved them to keep that secret I know Bill Murray was in the trailer. Yeah, the second I, yeah, trailer. I, I think. agree. Yeah, and, but I would have. I mean, that would have been a applause breaks out in the theater moment. Yes. Hard agree. If they had come across and she's like, "Oh, he's here," and Bill Murray ascends off of that ship, especially that how they reveal him. They reveal like, no, him in such a moment of it's a reveal, which actually makes me think that yeah. maybe the, the filmmakers thought it would be one. I agree. And I then, agree. And then the studio was like, "Hey." No more sells it. tickets. Let's put we it got, Yeah, we got to make sure people, we get butts in seats for this, so put, put him no, in I, the no, and, we, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this show, and it's a whole other episode, a whole old standalone episode, how people ruin that crap. But as a moviegoer, I would have loved that. Compl- on, what a pleasant surprise. That would have been unbelievable and probably would have changed my entire feeling of the film on the way out because it would have been a nice little, right. a nice little surprise. Because he's only in it. He probably shot that in a day and a half. Oh, sure. It's one yeah. scene. He's not in any other place. I think it's time we score this yes. movie. Let's go to Jeremy K. Gover. Let us know uh, what's your final verdict on Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania is an enjoyable, fun ride, but also completely forgettable were it not for Jonathan Major's performance as Kang. If Jonathan Major's is not Kang, this movie falls into pretty solid mediocrity. He's that good. Mad props to the mid credit scene, recreating the Council of Kangs from the comics. I'm not a comic guy, but I have seen, even I have seen that image of the Council of Kangs before. Now, on the YouTube version of the show, I'll put it on the screen so you can see it, see what I'm talking about, in case you're not a comic person also. It's really done well, and it's actually pretty impressive to have Jonathan Majors do a hundred different Kangs mm-hmm. for a few seconds and then put them all into <laughs> the puzzle. It was pretty awesome. So an incredible end credit scene, which if you, again, if you if you saw it and then left because you thought that mid-credit scene was it, I will not spoil it for you. You're dumb if but, you did that. I know, uh, but I'm just saying. Because it was one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Right, no, right. That's like, a, It was just, we finally got some MCU cameos in there and it was great. So all in all, uh, on top of everything I said earlier about how Jonathan Majors was great and how I really like the comedic timing and the, the comedic tone of the film, all those things, I give it a 6.0. I okay. liked it less than Thor, Love and Thunder, mm-hmm. but I will happily go see it again with my family. So I, it can't be all bad, you know? Right? <laughs> but again, without Jonathan Majors, that's the main takeaway. Jonathan Majors is so good as Kang that without him, it loses a lot. So Kang is the reason to go. If, if you have no other reason to go, go see Jonathan Majors as Kang. Justin Bradford. All right, Gover had so many great things. Great, great job. Wow, Gover. Great job. Colored me shocked. So, <laughs> was, so I was talking with, with a friend of mine, nicknamed Frosty, uh, about this <laughs> film. What? You know Frosty. I know. It's just weird that you referenced him to that. That's <laughs> nickname. <laughs> but talking about this film. anonymity. Justin got $10 for including that reference in the podcast. Looking at this film in a similar way as Age of Ultron, potentially, how this is the type of movie that 
three years from now, four years from now, we may have to reference back to it for things that are getting referenced in a future film of, oh, well, now this is important. Right. Now this makes sense. Or, oh, yeah, well, this was an important moment now, but it wasn't when the movie was made. Because I feel like there's a lot of break-off points from what's happening in the quantum realm that they're going to be able to spin things off to have influenced in future films or TV sure. shows. So I like that. But as Gover said, this is, I wouldn't necessarily label it forgettable, but it's not one that's going to always be rewatchable for me. I'll put it on. If it's on TV, I'll, I'll watch it. I want to go to the theaters again to see it again, to see what that experience is like. Jonathan Majors, again, is the reason to watch this. The introduction of Kang is the reason to watch this. The, the comedy, if you just want a, a fun movie to go watch, this is great. And the reason why I say that too is the runtime is fantastic. Yes, it is. The Perfect. actual movie of this is under two hours. It's a buck 45, isn't it? Yeah. We, we, yeah. And I like that because while they did fit a lot in, they squeezed plenty in. They sure did. I don't feel like I was missing so much where I'm like, oh man, I wish we had another 15 or 20 minutes of that. I feel like I was good with the runtime, especially with all these movies we've had that have been so freaking long yes. lately. I was, it was refreshing to have something like this to where you could bring a child to it and they're not just aching to get out because it's so long of a movie that you can they can stay within it that entire time. So I like the runtime. The end credit scene was fantastic. Absolutely love that. Um, just the, the humor, it made me laugh so much, and that's why I enjoyed it. But overall, when you take the factors that maybe make it a little more forgettable, paired with the things that make it great, it makes it mid. I mean, yeah. mid is one of the best ways to describe even though that is a slang term yep. for the kids nowadays. The the good and the bad kind of just push each other right towards the middle. In that bell curve. Yeah. yeah. And for me, just a little slightly above go over, but I'm giving it a 6.5, which for me is pretty low, especially for an MCU film. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty low because, yeah, I liked it, but it's not, I didn't leave the theater going, oh my gosh, we have so much to discuss. It was a, yeah, we're going to have a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> which some movies you come out like, I cannot wait. Oh my gosh, there's so many spoilers. There wasn't. It was an Ant Man story, and I'm fine with that. We got Kang. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> glowing review <laughs> but well said thanks yeah so this is jim and i also held that same feeling of i didn't see a great movie but i saw a pretty darn good movie that i really enjoyed okay so i think you are correct and jonathan majors uh you know he really created uh, I think a villain that is worth fighting in this movie and is going to be real interesting to see how he plays out as the big villain later. I don't like the fact that it was a setup movie. I know they're necessary, but it doesn't mean it just doesn't make them my favorite movies. I think Paul Rudd is consistently funny and likable in all of these films. Yes. And I really liked I think that that little departure of Michelle Pfeiffer's time in the quantum realm and what her life had to play out to be. And I also think another actress would not have done it that well. I, I think she just really set the stage for this is how I spent my time and how I was justified in what I did while I was in the quantum realm that I didn't want to tell my family about at all. So there were some great performances, uh, visual effects, mostly pretty good. I gave it also a 6.5. We're pretty close. I mean, the, it's rare that we're in agreement like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The, 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 the darts are, there's a close grouping of darts uh, on the board for this one. Per usual, I'm at the bottom though. <laughs> but not by a lot. No, no, no. You're right in the, right in the realm. I know. And the plus minus a 0.5 is actually really good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Margin of error, really. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, we always have a big question on the Untitled Film Project podcast, and this one comes from Jeremy Gover. I thought this was a really good opportunity, as of now, because it's going to change by summer, with the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 coming out and all that, sure. but to to rank our top five Marvel movies, because... They're more difficult now. Right. There's, there's so many good ones, and there's so many great ones, but it's kind of... Using the term top five is on purpose. I want to know if people, it depends on how you translate that. Sure. Is it best? 
Is it favorite? Is it most rewatchable? Is it like whatever? Yeah, whatever it is to you, that's what we want to know. So hit us up on Twitter at Untitled Film Project Podcast. Give us your top five Marvel movies, and we're going to go around the room and we're going to give our top five. I will start since I came up with the question, and I know it's going to at the bottom here. We're going to it's going to generate some debate. I'm sure. I think with Bradford because we've talked about this. I already have my judge face going. I know you do. Like. (laughs) Two years ago, I think in the locker room we playing argued. hockey or something, and we talked about this. So, we argued because one of them's dumb. Yeah, which I think we're going to get to. <laughs> I, already, I already know one's I'll coming. We're going to go one through I'm five. My chops one through five in order. So the number one. In order. Yes, number one. Well, for me. You can do okay, it. Yeah, 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 number yeah, yeah. one is Endgame. I think it's masterful filmmaking yeah. because okay. they took, yes, it's three hours, but it, they took, what is it, 20 three movies or whatever it was, and they wrapped it into a bow in one film. So it's for what they accomplished, not the actual movie? Correct. That's fair. That's fair for it's, that argument. That, it had never been done in cinema before. Sure. Yep. To be able to weave 23 films or whatever the number was. Which into, you can see his hand motion right now. Yes. That's, oh, yeah. yeah. He's, doing, he's, eventually we'll he's do, weaving. Eventually we'll do video. Underwater. You know, there's a little bit of that uh, when you you put the car window down and yeah. you're on the interstate and you let your hand <laughs> just kind of float <laughs> up. There's a, there's a nice yeah. little drum solo on yeah. the radio. And yeah, you're that's just, exactly what right. we So the, no, Endgame is overall your number one. It's my top Marvel movie, period. Okay. Okay? Because of what they accomplished. Number two, and this is probably the most rewatchable one for me, is Infinity War. Infinity War okay. is so good. Because I, I, there's so many different parts of it, and the fact that the, the dusting happens, and like all, like all the, and you're just like, how are they going to get out of the, like how are they going to bring people back? It was so great. Number three is Captain America: Civil War. Mm-hmm. You see Cap, you see Cap, and you see Iron Man fight, and that's epic. It's kind of like Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant back in the day, going like, at how, it, or, or Ultimate Warrior even, right? Going back, so that was really awesome. The first Iron Man movie is number four. It's other than the Dark Knight trilogy, okay. okay? It was the first superhero movie that I thought was not comic book. Really? It was actually a movie to where I could be like, this could really happen. Okay. Now, Michael you would King- include uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I, yes. So I th- because the way that some of the way they portrayed okay. him r- flying through the buildings was very comic bookish. Didn't care for that. I lo- okay. got lost in it. But Dark for- Toby emo dancing. Yeah. Right. Just please don't bring that up again. Uh, see? Okay. Well, you, you walked into it. So uh, Iron, the first Iron Man one. redefined superheroes. Plus, you have to give it credit anyway, because we've talked about this on the show before. If you'd asked me, I don't know, what, 15 years ago, name a Marvel character, I probably would have been able to name one. Mm-hmm. And now I know them all. Right? Who so, would have been? Spider Man? And it all, yeah. And it, and it started, maybe the Hulk. And it started with. Not the X Men? Iron Man. No. Because I wouldn't have known it was Marvel. Oh, okay. So you say that's if what I mean. See, so, sure. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, and and it started there, and that's where the that's where that weaving started was yeah. in that movie. So that's number four. Number five is a tie for Spider Man No Way Home. Of course, he has a tie. Oh, yep. a tie. That's cheating. Uh, sorry, Spider Man No Way Home. I've seen it three times in the movie theater, and I can't get enough of it. It's awesome. And number f- and tied with that is Age of Ultron. God, you freaking suck. See. It's uh, there's so many great uh, lines in it. If you had just stuck to the top five, sorry, we couldn't have we the tie. You would be that. ass at this. Uh, sorry, <laughs> the, that movie, in my opinion, is where the MCU really embraced the comedic value of the characters. It wasn't overly serious. Iron Man finds his voice, as in like just an everyday dude. Uh, the, the Age of Ultron is so awesome to rewatch. There you go. Those are my top five and a half. Okay. I'm gonna. We're gonna give you a time to decompress. Uh, yeah, Jimmy. You, why don't you go ahead with your top five? <laughs> well, Justin Bradford breathes into a paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine are. Uh, I think are gonna. I'll let you figure out the theme. Uh, but uh, mine uh, don't include a lot of uh, movies with, uh, I guess, multiple characters in them. Okay, so I, I guess I kind of leaned more towards people's own separate stories. Okay, I'm gonna go in reverse order. I am. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna American Top Forty this thing, and we're gonna go <laughs> at number five. Uh, <laughs> is all the uh, way from Pacoima, Illinois. Uh, my favorite Thor movie, which is Ragnarok. 
Uh, Ragnarok is great. I, I just I just really love what they do with that character. Uh, you know, I, I love Thor as a character, but it needed to go to that place, and it was so enjoyable. Kudos to to Chris Hemsworth who demanded that his character go in that direction because that was just such an enjoyable movie. I could watch it over and over. Number four is Assemble Avengers Endgame. Fantastic way to uh, end that two parter. Uh, that that was an incredible movie. It's satisfied in every way. Coming in at number three, and this was a tough one because uh, two and three could be interchangeable, but I'm going to say the first Black Panther, just a tremendous film. It flipped the whole Marvel universe uh, on its side and in, in the best ways. It brought us so many great characters and it brought us, uh, I think, something that, uh, you know, maybe was missing. And, it, and it's not just a, like a racial thing. It's just there was something about it that it was so new and different from the rest of what we had seen. And it was executed, obviously, so well with Chadwick Boseman and so many others. Number two, mostly because it's just so darn funny, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Interesting. There, th- that is a movie that I could watch over and over and over. It's funny. The music is incredible. And I'm talking about uh, the selections that James Gunn made uh, to propel that movie through with, you know, the cassette tapes. It's just one of those rewatchable movies. And my number one goes to the movie that had the most riding on it, but we never knew it, was the original Iron Man. I actually went to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania at the same theater where I saw Iron Man. And I remember going into that movie with no expectations. Mm -hmm. I went there with another guy. We brought our sons and we're like, yeah, it should be fun. You know, maybe they're going to play, you know, some Black Sabbath. (laughs) And and we, we walked out of that movie going, wow, that's what you can do with a superhero movie. That was incredible. Mm -hmm. If that had failed and not done well, I don't know what the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe would have been if it would have been as uh, accepted and anticipated every time they come out with a new movie. So the movie that didn't know it had so much weight on its shoulders just blew it out of the water. Love it. Iron Man number one. Justin Bradford. All right, so speaking of Iron Man, which is not in my top, by the way, talk about Jon Favreau and the way he's changed pop culture in so many different ways yeah. and so many universes yeah. with the films that he's directed and been a part of. Big you think universes. Elf, just in terms of the Christmas movie yeah. holiday tradition, but Iron Man and Mandalorian, so yep. in the Star Wars universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, how Jon Favreau's been a huge part of this. Got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame yeah. recently as well, as so it's cool to see. Well-deserved. Yes. Very, very cool to see. Okay, so for those that have probably listened before, I... I I'd refuse to do one to five. I, I just don't do that. I do tiers. Okay. Because for me, it is incredibly difficult to say, this is my number one. Because I can't just rightly say, this is my number one or this is number four. Because there's so many now to rank. So well, I do tiers. I would think that you know, a guy of your caliber would be able to handle that. But apparently you can't. So go ahead. Just give them, give them in tiers. Just uh, you know, lower the bar here. Go ahead. <laughs> Jim, I will come across this table, and I'll show you both my superior and A tier. <laughs> I'm going to catch those hands. Going to give you tickets to the superior show. Okay. I got you. So my top five, in no particular order, uh-huh. Infinity War. Because as a film itself, Infinity War is better than Endgame. And it's tough to say because I love Endgame. And I saw Endgame in theaters 14 times. And the reason I did that was because how often are you going to see all those characters come together and have right. those moments? But y'all be honest with me, especially listeners. How many of you just forward to the portal scene? So many people when they watch it, they'll fast forward through all the time travel, things like that. Mm. And get to the best scenes in that movie, which is right when they bring every, snap everybody back. When they snap everybody back is when the fun starts in that movie. That's the moment for There's the last be hour a lot and a of half. People that did that, yeah. And when you rewatch it, that's the best part—the best music, the best fight, all that stuff. It's when you just feel it, the amp up, because there's a huge lead up, and that's fine. Endgame is great, but Infinity War as a movie, the action sequences in it, the heroes lose, the way it left me feeling in the theater of, we gotta wait a year. 
<laughs> it means they built up something so special to have that much of a loss. Love Infinity War. I can rewatch that so many times as a whole because of what they bring together in that and then how they end that movie. Which tier is that in? Superior. Top, top, top See, tier. if you put your listening ears on, top, top tier, you would understand shelf. that I'm talking about the superior tier, Jim. Okay. Oh. Now, you might need AIDS with that listening. <laughs> now, That'd be hearing AIDS. <laughs> thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. It was an age joke. So next would be Civil War. For obvious reasons, it's just uh, I love when you have characters that are being tested. I love when you're exploring these types of things and they're being tested against people that they respect, that they work with, all those types of things of what's who's in the best moral ground. Right. And people obviously side with Iron Man. People side with you know with Cap. I love those types of things where characters are being tested, or you have an empathetic villain. Those types of things because it makes you think a little bit more. And Civil War made people pl- plenty of people think. As well as what team would they be on? Who do they support? So love that. Next one, Winter Captain America: The Winter Soldier, oh. because it exposed so much of Shield and what happened there. The twist that happened with that, and Cap in the elevator is just one of my favorite scenes in all of the MCU, of him just going ape onto those Hydra agents <laughs> in the elevator. But do you skip ahead to that scene, or do you? <laughs> you don't have to. It's really early in the movie, and it makes me go, Daddy. So, but also just him and the reveal, especially think this is pretty early in the MCU. The reveal that the Winter Soldier is Bucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy moly, what a reveal that is. Especially if you didn't know any previous stuff. The reveal when that mask is pulled off and it's Bucky and the feeling you get as a fan watching that and how that sets up for so many different things that happen in the MCU. I love that. Plus with Fury and that's the driving scene that he has that was filmed in Cleveland, but it looks like DC. Uh, that whole scene. Love that scene. So, Winter Soldier is one of my top ones. Uh, Black Panther, yep, is in my top um, for so many different reasons. But empathetic villain is one of the top reasons why. Because Killmonger does he have the right? I- he has the right idea in terms of what he wants to do and bring Wakanda to the world, but he's going about it the wrong way. And so, I love an empathetic villain where you feel for him and his cause, and he truly believes what he's doing is right, and not just destruction for the sake of destruction. I get tired of those villains. I want villains that have depth to them. Killmonger 100% has depth. That would be actually another great topic that we may address on this podcast yeah. at some point is the villains who had a point no, well I was going to say the, <laughs> the best the best MCU villains actually sure because there's a lot of people that would put Killmonger above everybody else yeah mm-hmm. yeah plus the representation the way it explores so many different things the way that Chadwick Boseman just made so many demands to make sure his role was doing the best possible that it could to represent his people love that and then lastly for me will be Shang-Chi um, great movie it's I, underrated Shang-Chi I feel like is it awesome. is underrated. It, it truly is, and it, yeah. it just like probably just missed my top five because I did actually follow the rules. I, but, uh, <laughs> but go ahead. I love. I tell love me the... more about all these guys on the same shelf. A tier. Sorry. <laughs> Jim, why do you have Brutal. such a problem? I, I don't know. Why do Why do you have such a problem? I just want people to play by the rules. This is it's top five. It didn't say it had to be in order. There was no place yeah, say top in the tiers. email. It I'll, said in order. I'll allow it. All right. <laughs> the judge says he'll allow it. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> shut After up. After a sidebar. <laughs> Shang-Chi. Bailiff. Good movie. Really good movie. Shang-Chi. It is awesome. Action sequences, the fight choreography, the feeling of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Michelle Yeoh. I mean, so, just so many different incredible things. For me personally, representation. Sure. It was incredibly awesome to see an Asian superhero and get an Asian story and have a cast that is so full of Asians in there as someone of Asian descent to finally see some sort of representation of my culture a little bit, even though it's not directly mine. I'm not Chinese. Right. But to see forms of Asian culture be there towards things that I grew up with of little nuances or stereotypes stereotypes that were true <laughs> being expressed <laughs> in a film like this was incredibly awesome for me to see on top of it being a f- really fun action-packed movie top uh, i mean really i mean everything in it done very well yes. because i mean like representation is nice but it was also you, a really good movie you also give it a great movie <laughs> yeah and then you've you've really got something special you really have something and seemingly you continues to roll on his just rise in terms of Hollywood. Yeah. We're going to see him in the Barbie movie. 
I know. I can't wait for that. Uh, he's great on TikTok. He is fantastic on TikTok. His assistant is also hilarious on TikTok uh, as well. So I love him just as a person and seeing him just continue to get more opportunities because you can tell he truly enjoys it. He is a fan of Marvel, and I love seeing actors that really want to just dive in. Like like uh, Sochi Gomez yeah. play, uh, playing uh, America Chavez. She's a Marvel fan. I mean, same thing with so many different things. You're seeing people grow up having been fans, and they are nerds about it. And I love that because they're going to do everything possible to make their character the best. And I, I appreciate that as a fan, and as a movie watcher, of someone that wants to give their character the absolute best they possibly can. Sure. Nobody wants to see right. an actor, even a great actor, feel like they're slumming by just, right. they're by just doing it for the paycheck. movies. Yeah. Right. I don't think we're going to necessarily get that, but... I mean, it yeah. can happen. It could happen because there's so many projects out there just by sheer percentage. Right. It could happen. But most but, likely, I, I mean, th- that Marvel has built up enough capital, enough have. you know, prestige that it is now a badge of honor to be in these films. Whereas, you know, if before, you know, uh, let's say early 2000s, uh, before all this was really, you know, a part of our culture, the superhero culture, uh, you know, it was looked down upon. If you were a quality actor, you're going to show up in a, you know, in a superhero movie, you're going to have a cape, you know, like it didn't happen very often. So I think now it's, uh, it's, it's something where you get great actors saying, yeah, I, I'd love to do this. Yeah. You're finding them on the top shelf. Top shelf. Yeah. Mm, like Grey Goose. Yeah. Grey Goose. That's fake top shelf. <laughs> Don't give me that. Grey Goose. It's just a label. It's good stuff. You're more of a beef eater guy. <laughs> That's gin. Those are two different things. <laughs> I don't drink, so I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, you know call me a beef eater. <laughs> I wasn't even knowing he was mentioning drinks. I, just I prefer thought. bourbon and rum, thank you very much. I don't know what those are. So, Alcohol. It's alcohol. Uh, this has been the Untitled Film Project podcast, and uh, I'm going to try to run out the door before... Uh, Justin Bradford gives me a beatdown. I'm going to drown you in soy sauce. <laughs> but before you do that, could you give us the social media channels, please? <laughs> Untitled Film Project. Just search it. You're going to find it. Uh, right, Jim? It yes. Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett. The Untitled Film Project podcast is presented in cooperation with iHeartRadio.